We continue today in chapter 2. Privilege today to preach verse 19. Pray with me as we prepare to dive into God's Word this morning. Father, we thank you for this time that you have appointed for us to gather through these unique means to look to your Word together, uh, to grow, to be sanctified, encouraged, rebuked, helped. Lord, we are so thankful for the work that you have done in our lives and continue to do. It's my high hope to be faithful in the preaching of your word, that I would not be in the way that your word would do its mighty work, the power of the word would shape and change lives. I pray for all that are listening, that there would be a uh, an ability to focus this morning, to tune in. The Holy Spirit would reveal all that you want to do in each person perfectly according to your will. Lord, that you would grow us, mature us, and unify us for all that you have in store for us, for your glory. We love you, and we pray these things because of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. There's so much here that is so good and good to unpack. I'm excited to spend this time together with you this morning. Let's be thorough to start with a little bit of reminder of where we're at in the letter and who Paul is speaking to when he says, so then you, who is Paul referring to here? Who is he speaking to? You are no longer. Who who is he saying this to? And, And Paul's writing to the believers in the region of Ephesus, many of which were converted Gentiles. A Gentile means they were not ethnic Jews. They were anything but ethnic Jews. Uh, so anyone who's not an ethnic Jew is a Gentile. It means I'm a Gentile and likely you're a Gentile. And in Paul's days, the Gentiles were pagan people who did not know the God of Israel or the promises that God gave. They did not trust in the Lord with saving faith for salvation. Paul said this very clearly in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. We studied a few weeks ago. He says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. See that this is essentially what Paul is saying again here in verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. They were strangers and aliens to the things of God, to the people of God, the covenant people, the old covenant people of God. They were without the knowledge of of the promised Messiah. They didn't have the covenant insights that ethnic Israel had being God's chosen people under the old covenant. Therefore, the Gentiles didn't have faith in Jesus or love for Him or communion with Him, or being subject to Him. They they were without 
the promises of him, his gospel, his government, his laws, prophecies concerning him. And as we studied last week in verse 13, uh, and then prior to that, in the weeks prior, we, we saw that there was both a social and a literal sense by which the Gentiles were aliens to the covenant people of God. I mean, to the point where, as we talked about last week, there was literal dividing walls between them. Even though the Jews and the Gentiles lived near each other, they were very much strangers to their entire way of life and priority and purpose. But notice Paul is saying, this is what you used to be. You are no longer these things. Now you are something else. Listen to the entire verse again. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. When you hear phrases like, you are no longer this, but now you are this, understand this is the grammar of the gospel. What we have put off in life is always then followed by what we have put on. If something is true of our lives apart from Christ, then now what we are in Christ, something else is true of us now. Paul Paul has done this twice already in this chapter. Going back to Ephesians 2 verse 1, he says, you were dead in your sins. And then later in verse 4, but God being rich in mercy made us alive together with Christ. Dead in sin, alive in Christ. We were and we now are. And then in verse 12, we see him do this again. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated, having no hope. And then in verse 13, but now in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You were alienated. You, you, you were separated. You had no hope. But by the blood of Christ, you've been brought near, brought in. And now again, he speaks this way again in verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Why does Paul speak this way again and again? Because it is so important that we know who we were in sin, apart from Christ, and who we are now in salvation in Christ. We're forgetful people. We, we're prone to lose our way. We're prone to lose sight of these good truths and let our present circumstances overdefine us, uh, speak identity into us. That's not even true. We need to not forget who we were in sin. Why? Because it was death. It was slavery. It was so selfish and without purpose or hope or real joy. We need to never forget who we are in Christ. Why? Because we are born again. We are new creations. Because it is the power of the gospel to combat the lies of the flesh and the temptations of this world. Because Christ is our joy And because of Christ, I'm no longer alone, but I belong. Look with me at the the meat of verse 19. As we see 
Paul unfolds two massive new communities that these saved Gentiles and we since who belong to Christ are now an intimate and forever part of. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. What we see here in the second part of verse 19 is two very prominent descriptors of what it means to be part of the church. The church is the group of people that God has foreordained to save and to secure as his eternal people. Throughout Paul's New Testament writings, we see him use many potent and meaningful metaphors and imagery for the church. He calls us the bride of Christ. Calls us God's kingdom. God's household or family. Later in Ephesians, we'll hear Paul talk about the church as a holy temple and as a body, a human body. In the remainder of this sermon, we'll see Paul show us the beauty of two of these metaphors for the church. The first we see here, that we are fellow citizens with the saints. This is kingdom language. We are talking about the eternal kingdom of God, not the fallen kingdom of this present world that belongs to the devil. For we who were dead in sin and following the course of this world have now become citizens of God's eternal kingdom. The language of the Bible is full of kingdom language and the priority of and the longing for and being part of God's kingdom. John the Baptist, the announcer of Jesus, the Messiah, said very famously in Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Understand, church, the kingdom of God is and is to come. First, there is a present aspect of what it means to be in Christ, in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is happening even in this fallen world that we're in, anywhere that God reigns as king. Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 through 14, he has delivered us from the dominion of darkness, the domain of darkness, and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Christian, you've been delivered and transferred. Delivered from a kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. Verse 14, In whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Church, we must see that even though we are citizens of this nation, or if you're listening to this broadcast outside of the United States of America, citizens of another nation, but we, we do not ultimately belong to that nation if we belong to Christ. 
the dominion of darkness that we once were enslaved to, we have been delivered from. In Christ, our citizenship has been transferred to the kingdom of the beloved Son, Jesus Christ, in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. This is truly good news. It's good news because you didn't have to go wait in line. You didn't have to pass a test. You didn't have to do a bunch of things and prove yourself. No, Jesus did all that was required on our behalf. See, we earned our citizenship in the prior kingdom by our sin. Jesus paid for that sin to redeem us that we would be forgiven. He earned our citizenship in God's kingdom. This is why we praise Him and live for Him and serve Him all of our days. This is truly good news. It is the good news of all good news. And it's good news for us right now when our faith and our circumstances and our nation and our leaders is wavering all over the place. When the decisions of our elected officials and the experts of mankind, when, the, when those decisions are not favorable or not what we want to hear or not, not for our good even, we, are, we, we see that we are sojourners in this land, in this time, in this place. We belong to another people. We ultimately serve another king. King Jesus. Jesus brings some clarity about how the kingdom of our Lord is right now. In Luke chapter 17, 21 through 22, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. It is in Christ we are ushered into the kingdom. We who belong, we who have repented and, and confessed our sin and trusted our lives to Him, we who have died to self and belong to Christ, belong to the kingdom of God. So there's a present reality that the kingdom is happening right now in this fallen world, anywhere God reigns as king in those people's lives. Kingdom people serving the king, testifying of the king. But there's also a future aspect in that the kingdom of God will be ushered in when God ordains the conclusion of this time and rule and installs the new heavens and the new earth. Listen to how this is described in Revelation 21, 1-5. through Then I saw a new heaven and new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away and he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Church, our hope is in the King of Kings. 
our citizenship is with Him in His kingdom. And so in the meantime, we sojourn. We, we set up our tent and we pack it and we move it and we, and we testify and we serve and we make disciples. Jesus taught the disciples to, to pray for the coming of God's kingdom. Matthew 6, 9-10, through 10, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Oh, how we long, church, for the return of Christ. But in the meantime, we trust that God is at work. His will will be done through us. For the sake of those He ordains to save and becomes kingdom citizens with us. Beloved, see with me the reality of your kingdom citizenship. This is a huge blessing for the redeemed. We're no longer outsiders or aliens. We have been made official citizens of God's kingdom. Consider the cultural context by which those who read this letter from Paul were in. The kingdom of Rome at that day is at its height of glory and dominant rule and territorial expansion. The reach of Rome's kingdom was worldwide. And even though it would, it would dominate for years to come, it would prove to still be temporary. And we would see it end. And we would see others rise up. <clears throat> Paul writes here, in the midst of all of this, about the emergence of a new kingdom that would reach a worldwide people and usher in a new humanity, all of God's elect would be brought into the gates, and of this kingdom there will be no end. Do you remember the famous interaction between the angel and Mary in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1? Read to you quickly verse 30 through 33. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Church, we must understand that while there is nothing greater than to be made a citizen of God's eternal kingdom, we are still sojourners in this land, in this time. Considered aliens from the world in which we now live. For those in Christ, we must rest in our citizenship in God's kingdom for even while we are aliens in this world where we now live, we understand that God is ultimately king over all things and nothing happens without his sovereign decree or consent. One more clarity I want to give us before we move on to the other metaphor Paul gives us here. While citizenship in God's kingdom will mean the most amazing 
eternal realities for us in the new heavens and the new earth. While we are in this time living this life as God ordains, our kingdom citizenship is not about the perks that we have in the here and now. Where we eat, what we own, where we park. But it is about God and His rule in our hearts and minds. Paul says this in Romans 14, 17, For the kingdom of, his, of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. We in our flesh can be guilty of considering kingdom citizenship and then, and then over-longing for feast and benefits that we want now. And that's just us not understanding the way God has ordained this to work. We will enjoy these and far better things for eternity. But in the here and now, we're a people called to the battlefield. And the blessings of the kingdom, as Paul states here, are righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Do you treasure those things like you should? Grow in them. Live them out in Christ in these days. Let me ask you, are, are you aware of your kingdom citizenship if you belong to Christ? How often are you guilty of only having eyes for this present time and place? And because you lose sight of your kingdom citizenship, the temporary things that are happening around you and the way that rulers rule and the way that decrees are given and the ways that, that circumstances unfold before us, it all too much undoes you, like as if it was your only citizenship. How often are you guilty of losing sight of your kingdom citizenship in God's kingdom? Considering only your citizenship in America or maybe your, your residency in California. Church, th this is a campground. Our, our, our places we lay our heads are tents. The vehicles that get us about are so temporary, gone in a moment. The money we work hard to earn is not for our joy. It's for our sustaining to do the work that God's called us to do. This is our place to pitch a tent and to testify the gospel and to make disciples. This is not our home anymore. And many that we interact with every day, even those in our own homes, are not our people anymore. We are no longer strangers and aliens to God as they are. But we are now His people. We are fellow citizens with the saints. Praise be to God. Consider that emphasis that Paul gives there. Fellow citizens with the saints 
Once again, Paul refers to his saved brothers and sisters in Christ that he's writing to in this region of Ephesus as saints. He did this in the opening address of the letter, Ephesians 1.1, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. The title saint is one that Paul uses often in his writings to identify God's redeemed people. When Paul calls Christians saints, Understand, this is a reference not to their holy or saintly performance, because man's performance in and of itself is anything but holy or saintly. No, Scripture is clear that our performances fall far short of God's holy standard. Scripture is clear that we are guilty under the law of God and fall short of the glory of God. No, when you hear someone being called a saint, you've got to think about something different. And what I encourage you to not think about is what many modern people think about when they hear someone being referred to as a saint is the the way the Roman Catholic Church uses that term. For they use it unbiblically. The Roman Catholic Church gives that title, saint, to certain people after they die to define or give credit for some kind of great performance. But understand, this is not a biblical understanding of what it is to be a saint. The only ones called saints in Scripture are those who have been forgiven and redeemed and justified based on the performance of another. He is the only person who ever fully satisfied the law of God and lived for the glory of God without sin. He is the only one who gave us His perfection so that we could be brought in we could be considered righteous. He's the only one who took on our guilt. This person is God the Son who took on flesh and died in the place of undeserving sinners. This person is Jesus Christ. Only in Christ are we made new, forgiven, and declared righteous in God's eyes. Only in Christ are we called saints. The Bible tells us that those who are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb are washed clean, made holy in the eyes of God. And as a result, we are saints. If you internally don't like that, repent. It it doesn't matter what you like. It is what God says you are. Don't lie to yourself or to others about your status before the Holy God. Embrace the fullness of what Christ has done on your behalf, that you are a saint. The saints in Christ have been set apart by God. This is Paul's emphasis that we are seeing in the first half of this letter as he highlights the work of God to choose, save, and set apart his elect. He wants us to understand this, church, what it means to be a saint in Christ Jesus. Christian, once again, I ask you, I've asked you this before, and we need to continue to consider it. Do you rightly see yourself as a saint if you belong to Jesus? Do you rightly see that sin does not have enslaving power over you any longer? That the power and the righteousness of Christ are upon you to live for Him and to glorify Him. 
Christian, don't be defined by the world or by your performance apart from Christ. You're not empowered by Christ, but then still given to the powers of of this place or even your failed body or mind. You, You are empowered by Christ. Be defined by Christ and Christ in you. You are a saint in Jesus Christ. I implore you, fellow Christians, servant of Jesus Christ, child of God, to stop living out of your old identity in sin as a sinner. Sin is not your master anymore. Christ is. Therefore, live out of your new identity as a saint, sanctified and made new in the blood of Jesus Christ. Make it practical today. Again, do this inventory. How are you lately betraying your saintly identity in Christ by living out of your old identity in the flesh and sin? What compromises are you still clinging to? What filth are you still feeding your eyes and your brain? What, what lie are you still telling What idol are you still worshiping? What lust are you still seeking to satisfy? The perfect Lamb of God was slain and bled out, not just so we could have heaven and be miserable in the meantime. No, so we could live in righteousness for God's glory and for others' good right now, in this time, in this place. Okay, let's look at the second metaphor Paul gives here for what it means to be a part of the church. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. As wonderful and life-changing as official citizenship is for a refugee, all the more personal is the relationship one has when an orphan is adopted into a family that they can call their own. Let's consider the depth of this, top to bottom. To be a member of a family you must be born into it or adopted into it. What is great is that for those God has chosen to save, we are both. Consider with me. Since we are born into spiritual slavery, every one of us, dead in sin because of our forerunner, our our federal head, Adam, dead in sin, enslaved to sin, confirmed in all the sin we do, serving our father, the devil. With this in mind, it is truly good news to be told that we have been reborn by the Holy Spirit and adopted by our eternal loving Father, at the high cost of the blood of His only Son, Jesus Christ. 
Jesus is clear when talking to Nicodemus when he says, John 3, 3, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What Jesus is saying is that no amount of human knowledge, reasoning, believing will bring you into a spiritual understanding. Only new birth. What is dead must be made alive. Later in the New Testament, other imagery is used to describe the new birth. The deaf cannot hear, the blind cannot see, the dead cannot believe. New birth is required for spiritual belief, seeing, hearing. When Jesus says, unless one is born again, the word again here is more literally translated from above or top to bottom. So it says, unless one is born from above. Praise God that He does this to undeserving sinners, that by His grace He gives new birth. Second, God makes us members of His eternal family by the legal and formal work of adoption. We are born into His family, new birth. We are adopted into His family. Ephesians Chapter 1, looking back on where we've been, verse 4 and 5 said this clearly. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Let me remind us of a couple of the powerful layers of our adoption into God's family. The term adoption in Scripture coincides with the term sonship and all the ways we see that played out. It literally is a formal, legal, complete way of becoming a member of the eternal family of God. But it's more than just belonging. Scripture says that we are heirs. We're participants with His glory. Our adoption means that we're brought into His favor, His blessing. And we enjoyed a restored relationship with Him forever as the objects of His electing love and saving grace. Romans chapter 8, 15-17 You do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may be glorified with Him. We who are redeemed and adopted into God's family, we call God Father. Because He is our Father and because we are His children. Consider the beautiful gift it is to be legally adopted by God the Father. The God of the universe. The ruler of all things. The great and mighty I Am is our Father when we belong to Christ. Church, these truths must transform our thinking and mood and motivation for the days that God gives us here on earth. I don't want us to miss the potency of this reality. This is why Paul returns to it again and again. See the set-apartness of God and therefore the massive work 
by which we would fully appreciate the fact that he draws us near in new birth and adoption as truly kids of grace, beloved children of God. Paul quotes Isaiah 43.6 when he reminds the church of God's promise in 2 Corinthians 6.18, quoting, says, I, I will be your father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Church, God is our good, good father. Again, are, are you caught up? Woe is me undone by your old identity, by the pathetic or rotten or selfish work of your mother or father, your blood family. Christian, you've been adopted. God is Father. Live out of your new identity as a member of the family of God. You were now you are. You no longer are, th- are that old, defined, undone. You now belong to Him. The truth of God's adoption is good news to us because we who were once separated from God in our sin, formally defined as children of wrath, but we've been adopted and made forever a part of God's eternal family. We've become children of God. And Paul says this again and again. He wants us to to get our arms around this and our lives around it and embrace it, all that we are in Christ. Romans 8, 16, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Understand, this is a formal thing. It's not just like a slang thing. It's not just, hey, Timmy's like a son to me. It's, It's not that. It's literal. It's formal who our family is, who our Father is. Rejoice in Christ that we get to be God's children. John chapter 1, 12-13, But to, to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Who receives Jesus? Who believes in His name? Who does God give the right to become children of God? Those whom God ordains. Those whom He chooses. Those to whom He gives new birth. This is good news. Jesus not only gave us life, He not only came into the world full of people who have utterly and completely rejected Him, He came to save His people And God in His grace gives new birth to us. He he gives us saving faith. He adopts us to be sons of God. Praise God. This is good news. I pray it's good news to your soul. Not just things you know in your head, but it it affects how you do your day today. and, and, And why you get up tomorrow and go to it. Again, some of you don't have a healthy blood family. Some of you don't even know your blood family. And even if you love your family deeply, you must understand that God's design for blood family 
is for a purpose in this life and not the next. But those who trust in Jesus and obey God the Father, they are the ones who belong to God's eternal family. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 49-50, stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And later in Matthew 19, 28-29, Jesus said to them, Truly, I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on His glorious throne, you who have followed Me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses and brothers and sisters or father or mother or children or lands for My namesake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. A hundredfold, mothers and fathers and sisters and brothers in our eternal family, God's family. Every investor that you'll ever run into will say, that is a no-brainer investment. It's easy. May we hear Paul's point of emphasis, Christ's point of emphasis, and, and not only believe it to be true, but live it every day that God gives us under the sun. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. What innumerable privileges and blessings and responsibilities that come with being a member of the household of God. Let me remind us of a few as we prepare to go put this word to work today and this week. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let me ask you, are you guilty of making your church life about you and what you like or don't like? Are you guilty of constantly holding brothers and sisters in contempt because the way they look or, or act or speak or don't speak is in contempt with you? Maybe you're all too caught up in what you get or don't get. Or are you looking to do good to the members of God's holy, blood-bought family? As we have every opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are of the household of faith. Are you combating the feelings that want to make it about you to embrace the privilege that I get to be a blessing to them? Are you, are you waiting for someone to call to minister to you 
Or are you being proactive to reach out and love and encourage your brothers and sisters? God owes you nothing and has given you everything in Christ. So be more than grateful in who you are in Christ and go to work to do the things that Scripture's called us to do. Are you guilty of complaining about how others are not living up to your expectations? Or are you being proactive to reach out and say thank you to those in your blood-bought family? Thinking more about what you're grateful for and less about what you feel like is being missed. Church, listen, as we have opportunity, let us do good to those who are in the household of faith. God has given you today. That means don't wait till tomorrow. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 10, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Are you guilty of quickly making it about you? Or are you privileged to outdo the others around you in showing them honor? See, to outdo one another is one way of living. To outdo one another in showing them honor is another way of living. In our sin, we look out for ourselves. Sin gives way to more sin, and so we'll even lie or cheat, or cut, or talk down on, or manipulate things to protect ourselves so that we would outdo another. Look to be perceived as doing better than they are. But for those in the eternal family of God, everything to gain is found in Christ and so we are freed up and empowered to outdo one another in showing honor. Let me, let me break this down. Honoring someone is treating them with your deeds or your words as worthy of your service. The key is, they may not be worthy of it, but you honor them anyway. This kind of honoring means treating someone better than they deserve. Church, we can be quickly guilty of playing out of the playbook of this lost world. And so, your upbringing, your worldly point of view, perspective, the street in you, that says, I give respect when I get it, it is the way of the world. God's way in Christ is to outdo each other in showing honor, even when they don't deserve it. We do this not because they've earned it, but because it honors God and it points others to Christ. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. 
The sons of God, the family of God, are peacemakers. Matthew 5, 9. What do peacemakers do? They make peace. Make peace with others. Hear me clearly. Peacemakers are not people who don't have any conflict. We're people. We're all different. Therefore, we're going to have conflict. The question is, what are you doing with that conflict? Peacemakers are people who fight for peace in and through the conflict. The goal is is what honors God. It's not me being right, me proving you wrong. It's not overthinking about what other people think about me. My identity is in Christ. Peacemakers don't let the hurt fester. They don't let the divisions remain. They're eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Ephesians 4, 3. We'll see that later in our study. Jesus was very clear in John 13, 34-35. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so must you love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Church, what are you doing today and every day to love one another? To outdo one another in showing honor? To make every effort for unity and peace? To forgive each other and to serve one another? Can I just lovingly say You should never be bored if in the body of Christ. Why? Because at any moment that you don't have something to do or accomplish, pick up the phone, make a call, get in the car, send a text. Why? Because you have a lot of family that you can encourage and, and press to Christ and thank them for who they are in Christ and to practice these things. Paul emphasizes this again and again in his letter. 1 Corinthians 1.10 I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you. That you be united in the same mind and same judgment. There's a unity in Christ that we, that we work towards. We fight for it. We prioritize it. So much so that God says in Scripture that that if at the altar we realize there's something between us and a brother or sister in Christ, to leave the time of worship to God and go be right with the brother or sister. Because that is such as much of a part of our testimony and of our worship as what we're doing at the altar. Romans 12, 16, live in harmony with one another. Church, What is our testimony to those still dead in sin? The spiritual refugees, the bankrupt orphans who are enslaved to darkness. We are to shine the light of Christ. And often, as Scripture says, we do this in how they see our unity together, our peacemaking, our forgiving each other. We're to show them the love and the grace of God 
through the sacrifice of Christ and how that's lived out in our lives together. Do you realize that this testimony, hear this, hear this, hear this, is not just for those out there. It is for many of us the testimony that is happening every day in our very homes as our unbelieving family and or children are watching how the citizens of God's kingdom, the members of God's family, the adopted family of God, are treating each other. Are speaking to each other. Are forgiving each other. Are serving one another. Outdoing one another and showing honor. What a true joy it is to be a part of God's family and therefore a part of the Disciples Church family. God is at work. He's doing a great work in and through us. And it's a joy to labor and to serve and to, and to walk this out with you. My prayer this morning is that if you are watching and you are not truly a committed part of a local church. I don't mean a church where you go play religion. I mean a church where you are truly family. The family of God, where where you're joyful to be in each other's lives. Growing and loving and serving one another. Where you are honoring and following your shepherds where you are serving others regularly, you you are being discipled and you are making disciples. If you don't know what that is, will you consider joining our family and being members of this local church? We would love to get to know you and see you as a special part of this diverse family of God. And for the members of Disciples Church, you are loved You are essential. Every part. Every one of you. And can I just say, our church is not on pause right now. There are certain critical things that we're not getting to do, but we will do them again. But the church is alive and well, and the body is to do these things every day. And so let's do them today, not, not waiting until tomorrow. You are ordained, church, by the living God to no longer be strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of of the household of God. Praise be to God now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that you have ordained for us to look to your holy word. We thank you for the work that you're doing in and through us, the sanctification, the conviction of sin, the opportunity to mature in our faith. We pray for those who are dead in sin and outside of Christ, that they would repent and believe and be saved. Be baptized. Become part of this family. What a joy it is to be part of this family. Lord, let our testimony be bright. Let our witness 
be seen as not just when we're stating the actual words of the gospel, but our witnesses and all of these other things, the way we're responding to each other and pursuing peace and unity and forgiveness, serving one another, outdoing one another and showing honor. Lord, let us not be hearers today only, but but doers for Your glory, for others' good. What a joy it is to be Yours. We rest in Your amazing grace. We, We rejoice in the amazing grace that has set us free. For You are worthy to be praised. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.